Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. This week's episode is number 60. Fishing was, is, my life. I'll explain that title here in just a few minutes. <laughs> uh, let's see. The changes have been made for now to the website at uh, catchoutdoors.com. So you can go there and check it out. I've added both my earlier books once again for purchase with discounts for the holidays. Discounts also include shipping. Uh, these copies are signed and are from the first edition printing. So they are on uh, very high quality paper. I've also added a coming soon for the new book, Take a Kid Fish, an adult's guide for introducing youngsters to the world of angling. The book is at the printer, yay. Um, I call this the final step. So uh, so please check out the website at catchoutdoors.com. So what's in the title? Fishing was, I put that in parentheses, <laughs> is my life. That's right, fishing was, is my life. Um, well, as many listeners know, I began fishing, uh, at a ripe old age of five and my first catch was an octopus and that was my gateway drug to fishing. But fishing wasn't the only thing I became addicted to. I was, I was also totally infatuated with water. I mean, just in general, uh, namely oceans, bays, gulfs, lakes, streams, that fascination was also noted by my parents and grandparents. I was sorting, uh, I was sorting our books, uh, which can be a monumental task in our house. After moving just a few months ago, uh, came down here to the Florida Keys, and uh, we both, I mean, we both like books a lot. So, and uh, anyway, we sort them. You know, it's we have a lot of books between the two of us, so we like to kind of sort them and keep them in order. So. Um, and not necessarily the, like the Dewey Decimal System or anything in a library, but but more like um, is the book a mystery? And if it's a mystery, is it a mystery writer from Florida? Or is the book about fishing? <laughs> we have almost two bookcases of those <laughs> just dedicated to that one category. Um, is it cooking, uh, outdoor activities, travel and science? Uh, another favorite subject of mine. So, you know, I try to, I try to break it down. I try to, I try to put, you know, things so that if we're, if we're looking for like how to identify a bird or how to identify a plant or something, they're in a certain section, orchids, that kind of stuff. In the section of, um, the fishing thing, I also found several books or, or actually when I was sorting the books, I found several about oceans and oceans of the world. And that were given to me back in the 60s by my grandparents. They're, they're even, they're noted to me inside, has a date inside, you know, Merry Christmas with a with a date on it. Back in 64, 65, 66, the, in that area when I was just a little over 10 years old. And so you see, they knew. And it's funny because over the years, I mean, that fascination really never left me. But it didn't really grab me really, really hard until uh, uh, moving away from Florida and then moving back. Uh, it's just like, you know, you have that little void when you go up north. I went, I moved to Kentucky with the family and then eventually out of Kentucky into the Coast Guard and eventually back to Kentucky. And then eventually I worked for a company that sent me to Florida. Yay. The title of today's podcast, though, Fishing Was In My Life, that, that, that 
was part needs some explaining or definition. You see, back in 2015, I was I was I was close to the top of my game as a fishing guide, uh, radio show host, teacher, uh, fishing spokesman, seminars, that kind of stuff, and it all came screeching to a halt when I was stricken by the very nasty and very rare form of cancer. And I really don't want to relive that here, uh, except to say that I I now understand how all others that you know have been handed the cancer card and and what it truly entails. And quite frankly, it sucks. Uh, so bye bye fishing and all things associated with it for the next couple of years after my diagnosis. That was back in 2015, like I said. Um, first I got to do my radio show. I mean, you know, I'm basically weak. I couldn't do a whole lot, to tell you the truth. But the show came first, and so that that was nice. Um, and then eventually I was able to do the fishing classes and seminars. Anything that did not require being bounced around on a boat. Um, charters, not so much, as in none. Um, it stopped completely. I was just too weak. Um, there's this little thing called a captain's license you have to have to take people fishing for money. Uh, in the state of Florida, um, it's essential. And um, the biggest problem was all the crazy and insane drugs I was on uh, while being treated for cancer. And I still am, for that matter. No narcotics. I've gotten past that point. I could take a simple Tylenol or something, you know, for a headache or whatever. But, And I'm proud to say I weaned myself off those because they had me on every drug you can possibly imagine because I had a lot of pain going on with this this particular type of cancer. I still take strange drugs, still take a, a pilled chemo, you know. Anyway, so the Coast Guard looks at that on your paperwork and goes, no, heck, they, they questioned me back when I had one of my renewals for uh, taking Claritin. I mean, come on. <laughs> but they did, and I had to explain it, had to get a doctor's reason why it was on there and blah, 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 blah. They do not want you to have anything in your system while you're being a captain on it. But I understand that. I mean, I get it. So that was the was. When I say fishing was, um, my my passion, my love, uh, my life. Um, so now seven and a half years later, I'm doing pretty good. And I've endeavored to continue my fishing habits in ways I really never expected would happen when I was a guide on Southwest Florida's coast. I'm now living in Key Largo with Blackwater Sound on one side of me and Largo Sound and the Atlantic Ocean on the other. Um, which is really pretty amazing to me. I can literally walk to um, Blackwater Sound and I can walk to Largo Sound from my house. I have to swim across Largo Sound and go across a row of mang mang uh, mango trees, mangrove trees. Sorry about that. Um, to get to the Atlantic Ocean. So, <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, if I take a drone and and pop it up over our house, I can see the Atlantic Ocean easily from our house up in the air. So. It's, it surprises me that I live on this spit of land. The fishing opportunities are virtually endless. And, you know, so it, it, it's, it's renewed my interest. Um, I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm almost saying it wasn't a depression. It was just a, the reality that things have radically changed. And I equate this to what's going on with a lot of people on the Southwest Coast right now after Hurricane Ian. Um, it was Sanibel and Captiva and Fort Myers Beach, especially Pine Island. Um, 
you know, places got destroyed and their lives are radically changed. And especially if you're a fisherman, you are, I mean, there are people now that are just plain boatless. They're they're like I am, (laughs) boatless. (laughs) The kayak's a wonderful thing. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's startling when that happens. And the cancer was very much like that for me. It was just a devastating blow. And it, you don't get over that thing very easily. I still think about it. And some days I get pissed about it, you know, but that's just the way it is. You know, you were, like I said, you were just handed that card and there's not much you can do about it other than uh, fight it and, uh, and develop a really great attitude that, that I find that to be very important. Just keep the chin up and keep the attitude going. So anyway, this, this whole virtual, this, this endless, amount of fishing around me suddenly appeared when we moved from Fort Lauderdale down to uh, Key Largo. And um, it's been really fantastic. It's, it's, it's raised my, my expectations now. And, and uh, you know, it's, it just, it's just really good. And then I added the podcast to it because I miss talking on a mic. I spent uh, 11 years doing radio and uh, I found that not doing radio over uh, a year period or so, uh, was like just boring. <laughs> it was nice to to get your thoughts on a microphone and get it out there. And why in the world I never thought of a podcast is beyond me. That my former producer helped me with that of the radio show. Thank you, Rick. Um. So anyway, um, you know, I got that going, and then I wrote three books. As a matter of fact, uh, one of them is is at the in the process, as I said earlier on the way out. The other two are available. Um, and it's, and it's really, I mean, it gave me some time to really ponder and think and write about the things I love. As a matter of fact, um, the battle with cancer, uh, is there's a full story on it in my book, Bridge to Paradise. Um, I, that book is, a is a compilation of a lot of different stories and things that I wrote for magazines and things over the year, as well as some new stuff that I threw in, uh, for me and for my daughters. Uh, so they learn a little bit more about my life. Um, but, uh, it's about fishing. Uh, well, it's in the title, it's fishing, travel and life. That's what it's about, but the full cancer story is in there. So if you want to read it and be depressed, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, you know, one of my best friends is, uh, Captain Barry Kuda. Barry Nichols is his real name. He's over in Naples and he owns Paradise Jewelers and he is, also had a guide service and, it's gone now. I mean, basically, he is not guiding. His boat's gone. Uh, his boat was destroyed. And uh, he lived on Spring Creek, which is right off of Estero Bay. But I talked to him a lot. And he's just one of those guys that's got this attitude. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be associated and be around him because he's very positive in the fact that he literally lost his house. His, he lost everything. House, boat, car, the whole bit. Damn near lost his life because he stayed in the house, which... Yes, Barry, that was stupid, and we all, we've already talked about it. It's okay if I say that, um, but he knows better now. <laughs> so he's putting his life back together, though. He's shopping for a boat. He got a car. Uh, he's got people working on the house. I mean, you know, you just, you just kind of have to push on, and the cancer is very much like that. So back to that title once again. Um, fishing was, is my life, is now back on track with the is part of my life. Uh, I've stepped up my game to fish at least twice a week on the very best days with the very best moons and the very best tides. There are times when that's not going to happen during a week, but you know, I'll, I'll take it anyway. It challenges you. And that's what I think that's probably what fishing is really about is the challenge. I don't, I don't know anybody that, 
that doesn't learn every time they go out. I just don't. I, I read enough. I read enough stories by other um, fishermen, captains, guides, gals, all these people that do all this fishing. You know, you read stuff every week. Uh, I get magazines. And and I think the the thing that I find the most interesting is the challenge that they all mention. You know, when when they get beat up, but they go back and do it again. Uh, and that's to me, that's what fishing is really about. It's 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 getting beat up and learning, and then continuing on. So anyway, I stepped up the game. I'm, I've decided you know two days a week would be good. There'll be weeks that I can't. Weather's going to control that, of course. But uh, at least once a week. Um, and then pick the best days, as I said, the moon, the tides, and all that kind of stuff. And, and what's really, <laughs> what's great about retirement is you can do that. Um, I'm not strapped with work. My work is basically writing podcasts, things like that. And so uh, I can I can look ahead and go, boy, this day looks sweet on the weather. And the tide looks really good. And the wind direction is going to be just right for what I want to do. And and so, I, so I'm, I'm going at it that way. I can do what I want to do. Sometimes I can do more than I want to do. And honestly, more does suit me better. I, I'm not a sit-around guy. I, I'm not. I don't spend a lot of time in an easy chair. Um, exercise is good. I bike. I pedal a kayak. I walk. You know, I love walking. I really do love exploring, especially here on this island. Good grief! There's all kinds of parks and places to go. It's great. And I love my kayak. I really love my kayak. It's beginning to take me to places I only dreamed about exploring in the past. The capabilities of running shallow is just a huge advantage here in the Florida Keys. And I love the water here. I've forgotten how beautiful it is. Um, we fished here a lot, my wife and I, Janelle and I, fished here back in the 90s. Uh, we started coming down here, I guess it was about 95, 96, and we fished pretty heavy right up until 2000 when um, she got a job over in, um, in Fort Myers and we moved. Um, and I became a guide there. But over here, we fished a lot on our own in Florida Bay. And I just really had forgotten how beautiful it is here. And you get, you you work very hard to fish southwest Florida. The water is not always clear. There's much rarely clear. It's always got some color to it. You have better days than others. And sometimes you have really terrible days after storms and mud and all kinds of fun things. But ultimately, this area doesn't really suffer from that. When we get winds, the water might cloud up for a, a day. But by the following day, it's all back to clear again. We have beautiful grass beds, uh, beautiful sandy potholes and sandy bottom. And of course, on the outside, coral reefs and shoal lines. And, and it's just it's gorgeous. And you just you just forget until you get back on it again. I love the clear water in the back. It's got a tinge of green. And then the whites, emerald, greens, and blues, and purple of the Atlantic. And I did that kind of in order because that's what it looks like to me. When you go out, you have you have like this this... This green area and this white sandy area, which is mixed with like an emerald green. And then it goes to blue, where it drops off to maybe 30, 40 feet. And then it goes to purple. <laughs> when you get out past 100 feet, it just, it just completely changes again. And I love that. I mean, it's, it's just, I don't care how many times you see it. Uh, it's just, it just kind of takes your breath away. It really does. On Monday, a week ago, I was invited to take a charter with one of my best friends from years past, Gary Beckley. I've talked about Gary before. Uh, he and his wife came down for the week, joined us for some fishing, uh, along with his sister. His sister, Rita, was here too. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time this past week. So on Monday, a week ago, um, 
not not Monday before the podcast, but Monday before, we uh, he booked a trip. He says, I, I've got to get on the water. I said, well, book a charter. And I found a guy in Isla Mirada, um, Sean McMullen. Looks good. I was like, you know, give this guy a call. Try this out and see. But I, I know I've never fished with a guy, but let's give it a shot. One thing Gary was responsible for over the years was another one of my fishing passions that I didn't even know I had. <laughs> when I, I moved to Kentucky, I, you know, I, I, I lived in um, lived in Florida uh, up until the family moved. I was around 16, 17 years old. We moved to Kentucky. Out of high school, joined the Coast Guard, came back to Kentucky after the Coast Guard, worked for a couple of companies, and then eventually got transferred back down to Miami. During my Kentucky time, uh Gary and I just ran into each other at work at one of our work spots. And, and, um, you know, he's the one that got me into stream fishing and, and I, I do nothing about it. I, I'm not a freshwater fish. I never, I was not a freshwater fisherman in Florida. Well, I did a few bass ponds, you know, that kind of stuff, but nothing. I was more saltwater. So, uh, he, he told me, he taught me what smallmouth fishing was all about. And I mean, I loved it, fell in love with it. It's, it's very special. You know, you hike into the woods, you hike uh, into a stream, uh, you push up the stream and then you get in and start working your way back and you fish for smallmouth along the banks and the cuts. The water's never much deeper than your thighs. Most of the time it's not deeper than your knees. And it's just, it was, just, I, I absolutely loved it. I did not like winters. <laughs> I said, no, winter and icy and snow is not Rob's gig, uh, but I love smallmouth fishing. And we had a blast fishing all the creeks in the area between Kentucky and Lexington. So this charter last week that Gary decided to do was out of Isla Mirada, uh, Captain Sean McMullen, and uh, Gary's wife, Cindy, joined us. Uh, boat was nice. Um, Sean's got a Pathfinder 2500, so it's a pretty good-sized center console. Great big, nice front deck, big rear deck area, nice place to sit with some comfortable seats for a bumpy ride, and we had a bumpy ride. Uh, this Monday was the Monday before Nicole, the storm. Hurricane Nicole was headed this way. Um, we spent almost the entire day up and around, way, way up, off by Flamingo and then out by Cape Sable, um, which is one of my favorite places to fish. And we had a hell of a day, <laughs> big, big snook, um, big black drum, the usual ladyfish jacks, uh, sea trout, and the biggest hammerhead shark I've ever seen. And I've seen some hammerhead sharks. This thing was huge. Uh, Sean and I guessed it at about 800 pounds just from our knowledge of seeing these things in the water. And this damn thing ate my big snook. I had a big snook on, reeling like crazy, knowing the sharks are in the area. The water was really murky. It was just all mucky. And wind it was blowing, I don't know, 15 to 18, I'd guess, right across the bay, kind of from the east-southeast, you know, because of the storm building out in the Atlantic and it was pulling all kinds of winds. Anyways, it was a mess, but it was still worth fishing. The weather, the sky was nice, you know, sun, no rain, but just windy. So anyway, I'm reeling in this snook and this hammerhead comes up behind it, which I did not know it was at the time. It just nailed my fish. And suddenly I realized all I'm reeling in is a head. I'm like, on it. And uh, it, that basically just pisses me off, quite frankly. But I mean, I know they're in there and they deserve to be in there and they're sharks and that's their home. And, you know, you kind of have to get over it. So as I'm reeling the head back, you know, just skating it across the water, Sean hollers out, 
shark, you know, and he looks back, he goes, then he goes, hammerhead shark. And you could, you know, they, they have a very distinctive dorsal and tail. You cannot miss it. The dorsals are huge, especially on a shark that large. And of course you could see the tail working and that shark is coming after the head. <laughs> so, so I start raising the, the ante. I mean, I am reeling now and that shark, of course, he's got no problem keeping up. And right when he gets to the boat, I raise the head out of the water and he misses, but you had to see him, the aggressiveness of it all. I mean, I'm laughing. It was, it kind of, you know, that, that nervous laughter, <laughs> you're like, whoa. And he spun and he had so much weight, the boat rocked, you know, it, it was pretty incredible. And we managed to pull the head in, which by the way, I weighed it because I needed to know. I'm like, how big was this snook? With well, a head weighed five pounds. I mean, that's just that's just a bummer. And of course, once the head was back in the water, dropped it back in the water, another shark came and got it. A bull shark was sitting underneath the boat and came out and nailed the head. So anyway, excitement, very much excitement. But the important thing is we caught some of the most fantastically wonderful snook that we did get into the boat. And we had a really great time. There were other, you know, a mixture of other bites and things on the water. So, but for me, that was, that was an awful, that was an awful lot of fun. And I haven't done that in a very long time. Um, the fishing report for it is, is really pretty simple. We used a combination of live shrimp and pinfish, um, three ace ounce jigs, not circle hooks, not weighted circles and or, or weighted line, just jigs. And um, you would place the uh, shrimp through the horn on the jig, and then we were hooking the pinfish on the lower jaw on the jig. Very effective. You have to remember, we had a serious current. Full moon was going on. A king tide was happening. The barometer was falling. A hurricane was coming. I mean, it was just everything that you want it to be when you go fishing. And I've said this before. I've written about it in my books. You know, there's nothing better than having that combination of a barometer going to hell and then having all the other stuff happening at once, full moon, king ties, and, and crazy moving water. And it, it, it was perfect. It really was. I've preached the advantage of that many, many times. So catching fish was really, really easy. I've also said if you can't catch fish on a day like that, you should probably just go on and take up golf full time. <laughs> Next few days, we waited out the storm. I mean, you know, we had good food, good drinks, good social time, hit the restaurants, local restaurants. We really had a great time. And it was just, it was, you know, it was, it was fun. And uh, finally, things managed to calm themselves back down by Thursday late. Friday, we had a really nice day. And then uh, Saturday, uh, Gary said, you know, he'd really like to go out. And I said, well, we can rent a boat, you know. And so that's what I did. Um it's, it's been on my list since we moved here. We've been going to Pinnacamp a lot. I launched my kayak there repeatedly. Uh, we have done a kayak trip out of there, a guided trip out of there, which was really fun to the backcountry areas and the tunnels that are that are part of Pinnacamp uh, Park, Pinnacamp National Park, uh, Pinnacamp State Park, I'm sorry. And um, we had a lot of fun with that. But I noticed, and there's a marina in there, and they have rental boats. And so uh, I said, well, I'll rent a boat, you know. I don't know a thing about fishing off of Key Largo, but I rent a boat. And that's what we did. Um, they've got uh, release 21s, 21-foot releases. It's very similar to your typical center console, kind of like a 21-foot Grady or 21-foot anything, really. Single engine on the back, but but very, very nice for offshore fishing. Uh, and they won't let you go way offshore anyway. Well, you don't have to here. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, but basically... Um, 
We went and got the boat in the AM. I passed my test. I had to take it. If you're going to rent a boat from uh, down here, you got to pass a little test, which I think is a great idea, to be honest with you, before they'll rent the boat to you. Um, and then we, we decided that we'd go out and just drop off just outside the reef line where Janelle and I had snorkeled. This would be the first time I have ever fished off Key Largo. So I want to press upon you that I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> other than history. Um, so all bets were off. But Gary was game, and, and I, was, I was hoping that my knowledge of fishing other key locations, uh, when I say key, I mean keys locations, uh, in the past would just pay off. And, and as it happened, it did. Uh, the boat did not have a depth finder, no GPS, just a radio. However, I have a Navionics boating app on my phone, which is basically like carrying a little pocket GPS. You got to love cell phone apps, man. If you're a fisherman, there's just there's just too many good apps out there. I have a weather app that shows me barometric pressure, and I have a tide and moon app. So it kind of covers all the bases for how I want to set my days up. And we did what I talked about last week on last week's um podcast. We did some observing. We got out there and we did the observing part. After all, it was a beautiful Saturday. There are quite a few locals out there on the water. Uh, it's a bit too early for season yet, so I knew that every boater out there probably knew what they were doing. Unlike me. <laughs> they were all, <laughs> they were all, you know, it's about what I, where they were where I expected them to be. Let's put it this way. When I ran out into the Atlantic I thought, they're going to be out there where we've been snorkeling. That's the reefs. And you can't fish in those areas. Those areas are off limits for fishing. You can travel through them. Most of the time, you have to go slow because there's going to be uh, snorkelers in the area, divers. But on the other side of that is an edge that just drops right off. Um, you, you're putting along at 20-something feet of water, if that, 18 feet of water, and then it drops to 100 feet in in yards, like two or three football fields, you know. Um, so there were small patches of sargasm weed. I was watching that. Um, but there were no lines of weeds like I'm used to seeing, like fishing on the edge of it. We couldn't troll anyway. We weren't really set up for trolling. But I, I, I thought it would be good if we could find some of that. But it really wasn't there. So what I did was I picked a spot in about 45 feet of water. How did I know it was 45? Well, that nav app I have, um, uh, Navionics, Um it has detailed depth breaks and depth lines on it. It shows you whole, it shows you everything. It's really fancy. It's like holding a chart in your lap, but even more detailed. Most charts are nav charts, so they're used to to find your way away from shallow water and away from uh, objects and things like that. They just they're trying to get you from point A to point B. That's not how the Navionics app works. It has serious demarcation lines showing you right where the uh, bottom changes, and I love it. So I did it without a depth finder or a bottom reader. So it was it was kind of guesswork, but it was like, you know, I know that when you fish off of Isla Mirada, which I've done, and Marathon, that when you get out to 45 to 55, 60 feet of water, you're going to find fish. It, you just have to find the right bottom. Unfortunately, I couldn't see that because I didn't have a fish finder, depth finder. So in other words, I couldn't really see what was down. You know, is it sea fans? Is it flat? You know, if it's flat as a board, that's probably not going to be good. I'm hoping for some kind of structure. I bought frozen shrimp and pilchards, frozen pilchards. No chum bag this time because, quite honestly, I didn't, wasn't even sure we'd be able to anchor at a depth that I could hold uh, for fish, for chumming. It's a rental boat, after all. And they're, always, they're, always, they're not always equipped for anchoring. They're equipped for cruising, especially in the, this area. The boats at a pinnacamp are equipped for snorkeling because you can go out and tie up to one of the white dive buoys 
and then snorkel around the boat. And the boat did have a dive ladder on the back, so it had the capability of getting in and out of the water easily if you want to use it for snorkeling, which I'll probably do. Uh, the frozen stuff, frozen stuff is something that I, I have never been a real fan of, as most of you know. If you've read the books or you've been around me, I'm like, no, nah, I like live bait, but that's what I had, and it didn't have a live well in the boat. So, and and frozen is something I never used on the Southwest Coast. But what the heck? <laughs> so we managed to get the anchor set. We dropped the shrimp down on a circle hook. I added a rubber core sinker to the top. I'm going to say it was probably about a. Um, Probably almost a half ounce of weight. Long pregnant pause here. Are you ready for this? The first fish up by Gary was a hogfish. That's right, hog snapper. I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Both of us shared big grins. You know, that the Cheshire cat kind of grin. You know, hogfish on hook and line is pretty daggone rare, and I could not believe that was the first fish in the boat. It wasn't very big. It certainly wasn't legal, but by golly, it was a hogfish. For the next two hours, we had almost constant action. Uh, it surprised me. Let's just put it that way. There were more hogfish. I think we caught three altogether. One was almost legal. We had some big gray and queen triggers. We had wrasse, mutton snapper, pigfish, porgies, white grunts, several strawberry grouper. That one surprised me too. Uh, the best bait was shrimp. Only the grouper would go for the pilchers. So I'm not going to bother with pilchers. I guess you could chum with pilchers, throw them into the into the line next time. But you know, it just it didn't get a lot of interest. Certainly not on the hook, and certainly not on bottom. Not even not even drifted behind the boat. I thought maybe a snapper would pick it up, but it, they just didn't work. Apparently, they like the very lively ones that are alive and kicking, not the dead frozen ones. So lessons learned. Use observation and, and watch what others are doing without getting in the way. That was a number one. Part of my observation thing that I talked about last week. you got to use your eyes. Um, things that I've also learned. Bring bigger hooks. The biggest thing I had on the boat was a two-aught <laughs> circle. I'm an inshore fisherman. I mean, what can I say? I didn't have any three, fours, or fives. <laughs> bring bigger hooks and, better, and bring a much better assortment of weights. We were just lucky that even though we're just coming off the full moon, the current was not that severe out there where we were fishing. I don't know if it's because of the reefs in the location or we were just sitting in exactly the right place, but it was not that bad. We were able to drop things down, 45, I'm guessing 45 to 48 feet to the bottom and not have to you know keep feeding line out and doing anything weird to, or you know what I'm saying, cast up by the bow of the boat to get the get your bait in the right position. So that was lucky. Don't forget the landing net. That was something else that I really uh, blew, you know. However, I did manage to bring the right rods and reels. Yay. And, and it's, the funny thing about it is I have this surplus of rods and reels, of which almost all of it's light tackle, but I do have several that I save from fishing Gulf Coast water, especially when I went out with my brother offshore. You know, a little, little heftier rod, a little heftier reel. Brought those. Thank goodness, because they were needed. Um, the gray trigger fish I caught, one of them was really big. And several others were large, but those things pull like that. I'd forgotten how good those things pull. They're a ton of fun. So there's no doubt I'm going to rent a boat again from the park. 
Um, they were well kept. They run well. They'll get you where you want to go to fish. I'd highly recommend it. If you're down in Key Largo and you're going to Penny Camp, you're going to stay around Penny Camp, you're going to camp, and you don't have a boat and haven't brought one, and you have some skills. You'll need skills because there, there really is a test. They don't mess around. There's a, a two-page test on the local water. It's, it's things like what to do and not to do out there with, with reefs, channel markers, and things like that. So you need to know a little bit about it. But I'd recommend doing it because the, the boats are really in good shape. Um, and, and, you know, great to fish off of and great to dive off of. I would imagine I, we didn't try that yet, but I'll let you know when we do one very cool thing. I can fish in a hundred feet of water and only be a few miles offshore <laughs> along the Southwest coast, say off of Fort Myers beach, you'd have to go about 40 miles out to fish that depth to be around 95, 98 feet. Uh, with even better fishing, another 20 miles out. So going 60 miles is what a lot of guys like to do to get you into 120, 130, 140 feet of water. So I, I just couldn't, you know, you go out there, you, you literally turn around and look back at the shoreline. You go, oh, wow, I'm in 100 feet of water. And, and there's where I launched from. I just, it's fantastic. So fun was had by the both of us. It was really, really good to get out there with Gary once again and do some fishing. And something we obviously both love to do a lot. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend. Leave a review. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. Catch you Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Networks, available on Waypoint by many of your favorite podcast providers. Facebook page, Catch you Outdoors. Website, waypointtv.com and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. <laughs>